So good morning and welcome to you, Hannah. It's lovely to um, have you chatting to us today. Um, thank you for joining us. Good morning. Thank you very much for having me. So this morning we're going to kick off um, on a, our series four um, podcast about bereavement. Um, so thank you so much for agreeing to talk to us on this you know, difficult subject. But before we, we get to that part, we'd love to hear a bit more about you and about your story and about how you came to start. So um, please, could you share, share with us about your journey? Yeah, of course. Um, so for um, for myself and for my husband, Paul, um, our kind of journey started, it would have been just before COVID and just before kind of lockdown hit. Um, so we got to a stage where I suppose many kind of couples find themselves, which is where, um, you know, kind of one partner's kind of really ready to kind of start trying for a baby and the other one's kind of, you know, not just too sure, not just too ready. So we got to a stage where Paul was, you know, he was happy enough and he was ready to kind of to start that journey as well so uh, we started and we got pregnant three months later and uh, we couldn't believe how quickly it happened um, and everything was progressing you know pretty smoothly and um, you know there was no real no real issues no real concerns and kind of the earlier part of the pregnancy um, definitely you know the whenever you kind of get pregnant just just as a pandemic is kind of starting it definitely does add a, another element of stress into everything as well yeah. um yeah. but yeah you know we we kind of we got through the 12-week scan everything was fine um got to the 20-week scan everything seemed fine as well um but as we got a little bit kind of further along in the pregnancy there were um, a couple of issues found that were a sort of a cause for concern so mm -hmm. we got to um it was actually we were about 30 weeks I think whenever we actually got the diagnosis and um, that he had um, trisomy 13 or pato syndrome so we were really kind of late late along um, in the pregnancy and I mean I remember it was literally we had um, I was thrown a surprise baby shower it would have been like literally the week before we got the results so it was very mm -hmm. kind of you know that real feeling of everything just kind of you know turning on its head and you know mm -hmm. it, it's going from being very okay to very not okay um, mm -hmm. all of a sudden um, so we probably like many other people and, and certainly like many people that I've spoken to in soft, we had never heard of trisomy 13 or Pato syndrome before, um, you know, we had Killian, it was just this kind of whole new world that was kind of being opened up to us and all of these kind of scary medical terms kind of being thrown around the place. Um, mm. So that was kind of very much where we find ourselves. Um, we I remember kind of you know trying to ask questions about you know what does this mean and you know what, what's going to happen going forward and um, I remember kind of just trying to trying to take in all this information when you just feel so numb and traumatized you know with with what you've just been told um but we got to um it was 32 weeks and Killian was then stillborn uh, with with um trisomy 13. Oh that's Oh, that's so tough because, you know, you'd only just discovered all of this and then for you to lose him so, so soon after getting that diagnosis, that must have been really, really tough. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it just, you know, it's just kind of that that saying that, you know, I've I've. So I've heard it being said before, and I think for me, I genuinely felt it, it happening, which is where, you know, your world all just kind of crumbles down around you, you know, mm -hmm. um, I think, you know, obviously you've got the, you know, you've got the absolute devastation you know the absolute heartbreak of this kind of happening and you've also got you know you've been on you know you're you've been leading up to you know I'm going to be you know Killian's mum that's going to be you know kind of what I'm going to be doing from now and you just kind of lose 
you know, you lose, obviously you lose your child and you just lose your whole self sense of identity as well. You know, it just, oh, it's, mm-hmm. it was such, such a difficult time. And whenever we actually lost him, it was um, right in the middle of lockdown. It was June, 2020. So again, mm-hmm. I mean, that was a difficult time, you know, no matter what the circumstances. Mm-hmm. So to add that into it, yeah. it was definitely tough. Yeah. Oh man. Um, and Hannah, so what actually led to them giving you that diagnosis if you don't mind me asking was it something that had shown up on a scan because you said you sailed through the 12 and 20 week scan so what was it that actually flagged it yeah so um what actually happened was at the 20 week scan um there was there was a couple of kind of issues found that were you know t- that were explained to me that were, they were not a cause for concern so um the things that were found um were the um there was uh, dilation on his kidneys um there was also um a, an issue with the heart he actually ended up he had a vsd and um, which is something that everybody in this community will very much be familiar with mm-hmm. um a little kind of hole in the heart um he also had a single artery umbilical cord but at mm-hmm. this point these things were i was sort of being told there was no massive cause for concern you know there, there wasn't any big issue what actually then happened was after the 20 week scan i just you know whenever you're sort of told not to worry but you know we know we all notice like you go into google you have a search and you're like oh goodness you know what is this so i actually mm. paid for a private scan just to kind of check on everything and make sure that he was okay and at the private scan they were concerned i mean they took a look and they just kind of said no i, I do think there, there's something else here so mm. from there we ended up being referred to um, a fetal cardiologist mm-hmm. and also a fetal um the fetal medicine department um and it was actually at about went to the fetal cardiologist they had a look at his heart um again they they could see there was they thought that he had a vsd and um a coarctation of the aorta i think is what it's called um it was a little while ago now so trying to remember all the all the terminologies um but they had thought that these were the two things he had um but again they weren't like they weren't overly concerned you know they said there was a chance he might need surgery but you know it was a very fixable you know whatever it was um and then it was a little bit later on down the line then we went to the fetal medicine department um, and they were able to find a couple more issues again um, and they kind of recommended that it maybe that you know that it, we should consider doing amnio um, we weren't going to do amnio at all but whenever we got to this stage where there was quite a few things going on we did decide to go ahead and do it to, to kind of get that answer. I didn't realize you could do amnio so late on in a pregnancy so that's that's a learning for me that you can be 20 weeks plus and still having an amnio. Yeah I mean that that's what we were told you know is I think it was because um I suppose it's probably not that common that you would get so late on, you know, to kind of to, to kind of have those those kind of um, concerns. But um, it was done. I know that we were told, you know, there was maybe a high risk to, you know, maybe kind of like the baby getting hurt with the needle. Um, but I mean, it was um, I think at this stage we decided that it was the best thing to do, you know, to kind of say, well, you know, let's let's find out kind of what we're what we're dealing with. Yeah, you needed to know conclusively because how how tough for you guys to be reassured a, a lot of the time that everything was fine, even though they're seeing all these things when in, in actual fact it wasn't. So you were being given false hope when that really wasn't the case. That must have been so, so difficult, um, you know, to go through. 
it, it was it was so difficult and um, you know you kind of get to this stage where you know whenever you've been told multiple times everything's all okay whenever things are actually definitely not okay you can mm. you very much you kind of lose your faith you know you think well you know how, how yeah. can I trust in the information that you're giving me if you've mm. told me one thing mm. and then it's, it's actually been a different thing but at the same time I mean it was everything was happening during lockdown you know there was a lot of pressures a lot of issues um for the medical staff you know so yeah. I think it was you know that definitely really added another challenge sure and how how did the medical team handle you you know did you feel supported did they did they were they sensitive around the language they used with you and you know how they kind of communicated things with you did you have how was your experience with with them I think there was a real mix to be totally honest um I think there was I mean there was one um woman who was a she's a fetal medicine midwife um, and she was absolutely incredible. Um, I mean, she was honestly amazing. You know, it's to go through something like that. She was just very, very, she was very straight talking, um, but she was also very, very reassuring as well. And she made sure that once, so once we basically were referred to them for our appointment, she kind of made sure that she would sort of branch out to all of the rest of the medical team and make sure that, you know, our cardiologist knew what was going on, you know, and, and everybody else knew what was going on. So she was absolutely brilliant. Um, the consultant that we spoke to, she was very, very good as well, but some of the language that she used, I wasn't a massive fan of, um, due to sort of describe him and describe the condition. Um, but I think there was just a real mix, you know, I think in some ways um, people were great and some ways there was definitely just a, a little bit that would have been desired. Um, the midwives, mm. I must say, though, I mean, whenever we were actually we were in having them, the midwives were all absolutely incredible, like they really were amazing people. Oh, that's good. It's, uh, I'm sorry you had a not great experience, but it sounds like overall, it, you know, um, people were trying their best, um, which you seem to appreciate as well. Definitely. Um, and support from friends and family. I mean, it's, it's a really tough one for anyone to get their head around. But, you know, how did how do people respond to this um, condition and, and the news about your pregnancy? I think, you know, generally everybody was was very, very supportive. I think everybody was just kind of, you know, in, in shock because it did come along so late. Um, you know, I think that I think it's kind of like a, a lot of people that I speak to will, will kind of have the same theme and that some people, some some of our friends and family members will say things that are maybe a bit strange or maybe not really the right thing to say but you know everybody's in complete shock you know you don't always say what you mean to say whenever you're you know you're you're kind of you're in, in shock yourself and yeah. um, generally I mean my mom um was an absolutely amazing support my mom was there the whole time while we were having him so she was just absolutely incredible um my a couple of you know really close friends I've got one particular friend um who I don't actually see physically that much because she lives in Dublin um but she's just been amazing she's one of those friends who you can talk about absolutely anything with and there's just absolutely there, there's there's no worries or you know no issues with her talking about any kind of subject so she's absolutely yeah. amazing um but yeah you know in general people have been have been have been really really good and um, I think it's just like I said one of those things that it's kind of difficult to know what to do and to know what to say you know and and like you say when people do get it wrong I'm sure it's always coming from a good place they don't mean to hurt you or say the wrong thing they they just maybe um are trying to find the right thing to say and, and don't always get it right oh de like definitely yeah I mean everybody's in like I said everyone's in shock you know nobody mm. really knows what to do or say in this situation it's not a situation anybody wants to think you know to find themselves in to think you know well what, what would I say or what should I say mm. or do so no of course not everybody's just completely trying their best yeah, yeah. 
Um, so Hannah, how did you come to find Soft UK? I mean, how did you find us? So I found Soft. Um, it was kind of in the days after I just come home, after I just had Killian and, you know, I was just completely in that stage of feeling completely numb, just, you know, I, I genuinely, like, I didn't know, didn't know what to do. You know, I was just really feeling really, really lost. And I find soft, it was actually through um, Facebook. I think I found the Facebook group mm -hmm. um, and I joined it and it would have been around October. I think it was, um, I got to a stage where I thought, you know, I like, I really, really want to do something, you know, like I, I really want to, you know, to help other people and to kind of to, to give Killian a real legacy. And I thought that mm -hmm. maybe kind of volunteer, like even in those days, I thought oh, volunteering is, is what I really want to do. But I mm -hmm. remember that I did my first family call and it was actually a Northern Ireland family call um, around, I think it was maybe September or October. And okay. it was just absolutely incredible. Um, you know, it's it, it really gave me kind of, and I think it gave the, the other people there as well, a real kind of outlet um, to kind of sit down mm -hmm. and speak with other people who've been through the same thing and we mm. talked about those topics we talked about maybe things that family members say and they kind of miss the mark they're trying but they kind of miss the mark and um, yeah. we're talking about yeah. our experiences how we feel how we're coping you know going through everything in lockdown and it was just fantastic it, it, it honestly mm. felt like I think that when I came away from that call I think I really kind of had that real sense of kind of hope um, which is just a really lovely thing to have you know having gone through that yeah amazing finding people that are part of a community that you now form part of, I suppose. Um, it was a sense of feeling like that, I guess. Absolutely. And then how did you become a volunteer? Tell us about that. And, and what do you do for SOC for the people um, listening? Um, so I'm a peer support volunteer. Um, so just, you know, anybody who's gone through, um, anybody who's maybe got a diagnosis, um, is maybe waiting on results, who's um, maybe lost their child or is, is looking after a child um, with trisomy 13 or 18, um, I would just kind of, you know, talk to them, support them. Um, kind of through whatever their experience is and wherever they are in their journey. So that's um, what I what I'm doing at the moment. Um, how mm. I how I came here was was pretty much. I mean, like I said, the the family call really just it it just changed everything for me. You know, it, it just mm. really gave me the sense of hope and kind of like you said before, kid, about the community. It gives you a real sense of belonging as well. Mm. Um, so from there. I thought, right, I really want to do this. I, I really want to be a volunteer. I really, really want to, to help people. Um, as you can probably tell, I'm an absolute chatter, so I can um, talk for days about anything at all. So yeah. it was a natural progression there, I think. Yeah, um, but yeah, it's that's that's very much what I've been doing, and it, it's just it's it's fantastic. Um, I absolutely love the work. I love talking with anybody at all who needs that support. Um, yeah. I love kind of just giving that little outlet of maybe things that they can't maybe talk about with their family and friends. And mm -hmm. um, as I mentioned before as well, it also very much gives Killian a, a lasting legacy as well, which mm -hmm. is it, which yeah. is very important as well. And I suppose in some way, talking about um what you've been through perhaps helps you to sort of process what you've been through and and I mean ha have you felt that it's it's helped you personally as well absolutely you know it's it's so cathartic um you know to kind of sit down and, and sort of talk with somebody who again you know who's been through the same thing or who's been going through the same thing and you know absolutely it it, it really does help to kind of just be able to talk about that and be able to talk about it openly as well um you know you're not having to worry about you know oh is, is this you know can, can i can i talk about this part of it you know can i talk about that aspect mm -hmm. of it you know we we can all it's it's very much a community to talk openly about you know all aspects of of kind of what we're going mm -hmm. through. So yeah, it 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 really is is definitely very helpful. 
So it's really, I suppose, a win-win because you're helping people, but at the same time, you know, it's therapy for you in, in some strange way. Definitely. Amazing. Um, so Hannah, I suppose in, in summary, is there any anything you'd like to say to people or any message you've got or um, anything else you'd like to share today, I suppose, before we, we wrap things up? You, you know, certainly, um, you know, it's sort of like like we discussed before, um, you know, one of the kind of the main reasons that I wanted to to kind of do this today is that, you know, we we talk a lot about, um, you know, we talk a lot about bereavement and we talk a lot about when you're in that space, you know, when, when you're in that that moment of, you know, kind of, you know, everything is just kind of happening and you're not sure, you know, we, you, when, when everything happens, sometimes you just you don't really even know how to just keep on going, how to keep putting one foot in front of the other. Um, yeah. And, you know, I just really wanted to kind of do this to show well you know even though it is it's it's terrible it's it is it's an awful thing to go through but there is another side um you know and, and there is that you, you do come out the other side of it and 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 you genuinely can um even though it doesn't feel like it at the time you know you genuinely will mm -hmm. get to a stage where you will enjoy life again and, and things will get mm -hmm. good again um so I suppose that the main message that I would want to give just just for this introduction is that you know no matter what no matter where you are in your journey, you know, if, if something happened to you a year ago, if it happened to you 10 years ago, if it was maybe not even you directly, if it was maybe a family member who went through it and it was really difficult to go through it, we're always here. Um, and you don't have to be just freshly and rawly going through it to kind of to want to get help and support. Um, so no matter where you are, um, you know, we're always here to support and we're always here to help. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you, Hannah. That's really a lovely message. It's enough way to end this this first chat um, as part of our bereavement series. So thank you so much for your time this morning. And we look forward to chatting to you on future days um, on different topics related to this. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to, to the rest. Fantastic, thank you.